Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Bobby from Talking Comics here. First day of Comic-Con, first interview of Comic-Con. Joshua Williamson, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, no problem. It's my uh, my first interview too of this show. Nice. Yeah. We'll both be rusty. We'll both try to make sure we do it. We, we do a little bit of justice here. Um, so, of course, oh, always, man, you're you're you got a lot of books. You got a lot of stuff going on. Um, you haven't hit that. I think last time you were on the show, you said you're waiting for that one that you do that everybody hates because you've been on a good you've been on a good run lately. <laughs> Um, so first I want to talk about really quick one that's over Ghosted is over yeah. um, tell me about that tell me about wrapping the series tell me that feeling now that, that you're done with it oh man it, it was rough because we had been working on that book for so long you know that was a book that I started writing you know I, I knew I wanted to do it back in like 2010 and there was like conversations with people and then I started writing it at the end of 2011 you know and then uh, it didn't come out in 2013 so that book was a part of my life for a, a long time you know and so it was kind of a rough you know, but the thing is, I knew I knew I was gonna end it, and I knew how I wanted to end it, and that was kind of really important to me was making sure I ended it the way I wanted to end it, not just ending it just because. You know, I wanted to make sure that when I did end it, that it was you know right. You know, it wasn't uh, rushed, but it also wasn't cut short. And so once I kind of knew we were gonna end it at twenty, I started planning around that, and I kind of knew around ten or eleven. So it was some of those things where I was like, all right, let's start let's start gearing things to to, to go there. And it was interesting because we didn't announce it until the end, but it was interesting seeing people reading you know, 15, 16, and starting to, like, you, I, would, I would hear from people that were kind of figuring out, like, this is getting close to wrapping up. Like, you can tell there's certain themes that are going on. But uh, I miss it, man. I miss Jackson all the time. And I was just in uh, Paris, and I went down to the catacombs. The catacombs are all the bones and stuff. And being down there put me back in that mode of, like, man, I want to write Jackson. I want to write the Ghosted. I want to write that kind of stuff again. But we'll see what happens. If I ever do it again, it'll have to be a really good story to bring it back. I have to make sure it's really, really strong. Absolutely awesome. Yeah. Um, but you got stuff going on. So you got, you got Birthright still going on. You got Nailbiter still going on. Um, tell me how the reception has been, and, and tell me what's what we're looking for in the future for the, for those books. Uh, the reception's been really good. I don't know. I, I don't really. I don't know. I don't see too much bad stuff, but I don't really search it out. You know. Um, yeah, I feel like it's been pretty good. I mean, this is with Nailbiter. We we seem to have a little bit of a cult following going on, and people who read it that really enjoy it, they seem to be excited and pumped about stuff and they're interested in the mystery and the build from each issue um, and they've really been digging it so for me it's like this is cool I'm, I'm really happy with this and you know all the guys who work on it are really excited you know we go to cons together we just did a con where it was like the entire creative team together for the first time at a show where we were signing and we did a panel together and it seemed like you know people that, are, that dig it really really dig it and that's cool for us that's kind of what I want for years I felt like I was very much kind of in the mid ground of what kind of writer I wanted to be and then eventually I started figuring out like you know, I'd rather someone love or hate my work than just be meh, you know, be kind of in the middle. 
And I feel like that's where we're at with it, where either you love those books or you hate it. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, I, I, you're getting an emotional reaction out of somebody. And that's just important. And it's the same thing with Birthright. Like, it's really surprised me how much people love Birthright. And I get people who I don't know who email me, like other pros or people, because, you know, people that work at publishers aren't even creators or editors will email me and be like, man, I tell you, I love that book. Um, you know, because the, the copies will get passed around the offices. And that's what led to me doing, you know, the, the, the Marvel and the DC stuff I've done, specifically the Marvel stuff, is because of Birthright and the response that people have had. And I've had friends who are, you know, other creators or editors who I've known for a long time that will talk about my books, but they'll always be like, man, Birthright's the one. Like, they think that's the best one. And I'm always like, it's kind of weird for me because it's like you're telling me one of my kids is better than the other, you know? So it's like, I'm kind of like, well, don't forget that other kid. That other kid's doing pretty good, all right? You know, I feel like that's the thing about Birthright and Nailbiter. It's like if, 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 and Ghosted. I feel like, you know, Ghosted is my first kid that I'll always love, you know? And I've done a lot of creator own books, but those three are really important to me. It's like Ghosted, I feel like, is that first kid that I always love that can do no wrong in a way. No better is my easy kid. I don't got to worry about that kid. Like, he's off on his own. I know he's doing well. He's doing fine. He takes care of himself. And then you got Birthright. And Birthright is uh, my hard kid. But, my, but the kid that could be president someday. I just need to, like, I need to watch him. Yeah. I just need to stay on top of him. Yeah. You're the hardest on that kid because you, you know the potential. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned, like, when you did Ghosted, you knew, you knew that it was going to be a, a certain capped number of, of issues. Um, do you feel that way about Nailbiter and Birthright, or do you, do you see these things that can go on and on and on? I mean, I know the last sequence of every book I'm working on. Like, I know the ending. I'm always very aware, aware of the ending, and it's always sort of part of the plan to build the ending. I don't always know a uh, page number, though, like, or not, a uh, issue number. I don't always know exactly what number it is, and partly, partially it is because, I, again, the same thing. Like, I don't want to drag it out, but I don't want to cut it short, and I don't want to commit myself to a number. And then it's like, well, now I'm coming up with a number. That's nothing to do with a story. Yeah. You know, I want to make sure it's all about the story. And so it's like I got to keep on thinking about the story. And then eventually if I get to that point where I'm like, all right. And I plan really far ahead. So it's like we have ideas of things. But that is, we don't want to set in stone and be like, oh, man, all these really cool ideas. Like, now I can't do them because we set that number. And it's like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to have a thing where we could just be like, well, this is where it's feeling the most organic and natural to end it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when, when I mean... Yeah, actually, not putting an issue number on it, but do you think when you get to that point when you're writing it and you start to feel like you're getting, you're at the point where you're starting to transition into what could be the ending, that you'll you'll take it there? Yeah, if it's natural. Yeah, I mean, there's certain. I think there's certain aspects of both those books, of Birthright and Nailbiter. They're like uh, points of no return beats. You know, I think with with Nailbiter, once we hit that beat of like, well, this is what it is. This is the secret of the town. Then we have to end it soon after that. We we probably have like maybe one trade worth after that maybe I feel like whenever we get around to that that'll be like in the last trade whenever we get to it so I mean that's what it is right like the moment I hit that beat it's funny because I know some beats that I feel like well when this happens th- then I have to do this next thing you know when that happens I have to do the next thing so there is sort of a domino effect with certain aspects of it and I'm not to say I avoid those dominoes um, if, if the story heads me right at it that's where I'm going to go you know and it's the same thing with Birthright I feel like they both have that in common that's any mystery any mystery is kind of like that um, I mean, I want to I want to talk about the, the Marvel stuff in, ju- in just a second. But writing these books and and putting together, you know, twenty something issues, twenty something issues, however many it will end up being. What's it like sustaining sort of the the creative oomph and, and the quality throughout so many issues? Because comics are a very different medium than a lot of others, right? A lot of them is you, you work on something, you put it out, and it's there, it's done. Like you, and, and you don't get that pressure of following yourself up until the next one comes out. Yeah. But you kind of have the pressure to follow yourself up like every month. 
I think it, that all comes in the roots of the project. I think when you start developing a project, one of the things you should ask yourself is, what is the story engine? You need to have something in there that is sort of in the, the, the initial DNA of the project that will, you know will give you more ideas, right? You know, that will give you something. It's like if you're writing a detective story, there's always more murders, you know? And so it's sort of like your cops are always going to have something to do. You know, so that's that's kind of your story engine, like you know, it's and that's the most basic procedural like sort of thing. But I think with Nailbar and Birthright or any comic in general, like it's kind of on you when you're developing it to start figuring that out. Um, and then you're just constantly putting your character in trouble. I mean, you you at the end of the day are your character's greatest enemy. Like that is your job. Your job is to constantly be trying to kill them. Like you you know you're their greatest enemy. So I think once you have that mindset and you just like don't get too afraid of that I think that helps you out and taking risks and taking turns and just fi- always finding ways of twisting things around I think if you can start getting that in your mind your mind as you're working it helps with that like it helps you sort of challenging yourself having these you know creating hurdles that you then have to, to surpass I guess um, for me on those books I don't know it's like we just kind of I feel like I got lucky on them that I created a story that I knew was going to be big and I was able to kind of constantly like work towards something but there's goals in there you know and those goals help us um, we talk about that a lot like there's a lot of times you'll have ideas that you're like that's an eight pager that's a you know that's a short story or this and, it, and I think it's important for writers to recognize that because I see it too often I see somebody tells me this is this is the idea I have and you're like that's just an idea it's not a story and so I think when you're working on these books you have to keep that in mind in the beginning and that helps you you know the longevity of it. It helps you keep going. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's talk about let's talk about the Marvel stuff. Let's talk about Illuminati. Um, you worked on or we're working on the, the Red Skull mini for for, for the the Secret War stuff, um, but you're trans, you're moving into this Illuminati stuff. Why don't you tell people if they don't know what Illuminati is and the, what's it like working at Marvel on a, on a monthly book? Uh, working on for Marvel has been great so far. I mean, it's been really really good. I mean, we've uh, oh, it's been really smooth. Like, there's been, you know, no headaches for me. And I think I came from... I've been doing this for a long time, I feel like. You know, I've been doing... Like, I've been making comics for a very long time. And so, by the time I got to Marvel, I think sometimes I hear things from people where they get worried about stuff. And then when I get in there, I'm like, this is nothing. Like, you know, let's just do this. Let's get to work. Um, But it's been really great. And they've been really cool and receptive. And I think, for me, I was really worried about them not wanting me to be me. You know, I think it's a worry. Anytime you're working with anybody you haven't worked with before, you always want to be like well, this is my style, this is what I do, please recognize, you know. And so far they've been fine, you know. And there's been stuff that I think I was pushing the envelope a little bit or maybe going a little too far. Um, some, some of the Red Skull stuff and then some of the stuff in Illuminati where I was worried that I would be like, hey, I'm going to do this crazy thing, let's see what happens. And then they never said no. And there's been times where I'm like, I'm a big believer in like letting them say no. Right? Like I don't want to say no for them. You know, I don't want to second guess them because I might have this crazy idea and then I think they're not gonna go for that. I don't do it. And then months later, I'm like, oh, I had this, I had this one idea, and it could have worked. I'm like, yeah, they should have done that. Like, I would hate to be in that position. And so far, I haven't been. I haven't been. Um, I've just been honest about like, this is this is the kind of stuff I do. This is what I want to do. Can I, can I, you know, do these crazy things? And they've been really cool about it. Um, they've actually kind of told me to push it farther. So I'm like, all right, cool. Let's see what I can, let's see what I can get away with. Um, but yeah, it's the Illuminati is the all new, all different Illuminati. Essentially, the Hood, who is you know a thief. Uh, he's a con artist. He basically stole the, the title. He stole the team name uh, to create this new Illuminati. And really what it is is that, you know, he believes you have all these bad guys. You have, you know, the Red Skull and Thanos and Loki and all these big time, big bad guys who don't, don't care about normal day-to-day stuff. They want to take over the world. They want to blow shit up. They want to cause chaos or, you know, havoc. 
And they're criminals. Sometimes they want to earn a buck. You know, they just want to make money and they want to have normal lives. But this is what they're good at. They're good at this thing, and they're kind of sick of getting arrested. They're kind of sick of, you know, sort of being pushed aside for these bigger things that are going on. They're not being taken as serious. And so the hood recognizes that and is trying to find ways of uh, upgrading, leveling everybody up, but also uniting, almost like a union, to sort of move forward. And the thing is, he's tried this in the past, and he knows he's done that in the past. Before, it was more of an organized crime thing, and everyone was greedy, and they weren't smart. I feel like a lot of this book is about second chances, and it's like the hood, this is the hood's second chance at what he tried before. And so for Titania, who's our, our main character, it's also her second chance, because she feels like she's sort of burnt out on being a villain. Like, she's kind of gone through these things. For a long time, she was very gung-ho about it, but she's just started changing. Like, she's starting to recognize the world is different, things are different. Maybe this isn't going to work out. And so she's starting to try to figure out ways of maybe getting out of it, but the hood pulls her back in. And it's sort of about the two of them as they're trying to recruit more villains for the hood's plan. Like, the hood has already recruited a bunch of people, and so he's gonna, the two of them are out there trying to do stuff to figure out ways of uh, becoming big, right? Like, it's all about fake it till you make it. And very, you know, like, for them, it's about trying to impress and, and show off and try to act like they're in the big leagues. Um, but it's the two of them. So, yeah, it's the hood... Titania, Enchantress, uh, Mad Thinker, Thunderball, and Black Ant. And so they all have kind of this thing about second chances and trying something different because that what hasn't worked in the past. Um, but yeah, it's pretty it's pretty gritty. It's very much their perspective on things. Um, I don't think it's going to be like any Marvel book. I'm actually a little worried about it. I feel like it's going to be like nothing else at Marvel. Um, Sean Crystal's drawing it, and he's doing this very sort of like gritty... Uh, black humory kind of style with it. Um, the colors are really cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't think it's gonna look like or be like any other Marvel book, and I'm a. That could be a good thing or a bad thing, you know. <laughs> but I'm excited. I mean, the obviously taking the villains. I mean, it, it. It feels like that's sort of your, your jam, you know, like taking these these sort of like morally questionable characters, and, and sending them kind of on these like these these quests in in their lives. Um, is, 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 that, is that you're drawn to that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, you're right. All my books are that. I mean, Ghosted had Jackson. Uh, Birthright has Mikey. Uh, you know, Nailbutter has Warren. Even Finch, to an extent. Even Crane, to an extent. Um, and then I did Red Skull, and now we have this. And that's how it always... I, yeah, I, I don't know what it is about that. I've always been kind of attracted to sort of these characters. Part of it is I feel like they have the best arcs as characters. I feel like heroes, a lot of times, uh, are, are good right out the box. Not always, but they are right out the box. Where I think villains are much more complex and conflicted on what they do uh, specifically characters like the hood and Titania where it's like you know in their story they're just they're just trying to earn they're just trying to make money they're just trying to provide and this is what they found they're good at or these are the lengths they're willing to go and I feel like it those kinds of characters are always interesting to me I feel like you can have much more of an art character arc with them opposed to heroes where I feel like not always I feel like there's some specifically Marvel characters that you know you have guys like Tony Stark I think that are very much you know, a little bit more on the... There's a selfishness to him. Like, there's obviously... There, there is an arc for him, you know, from the selfish to the not selfish. Uh, seeing the Peter Parker, like, having to learn, constantly learn responsibility. And it's the whole thing of, you know, Peter Parker wins... Or I'm sorry, Spider-Man wins, Peter Parker loses. Like, that's the rule of superheroes in general, you know? Um, that is that is the extent of their arc a lot of times. Not to say that it can't go further than that. I think there's a lot of examples they are. But for me, I feel like the villains aspect of that hasn't been as explored, and so it's always been very interesting to me. Absolutely, and I think also um, you get to play with characters that aren't as established, that don't have you know these things where people expect. Okay, if you're doing a book with Titania, it has to be this way. You know, you you get to play a little bit, and I always think 
I, when I always talk about this stuff with like Jeff Johns, I think he always does his best work when he's working with characters like that because he gets to sort of reinvent and, and do his thing. And, and and speaking of Johns as well, it reminds me a lot of like the Rogues. You know, the, the very similar to the, the way the Rogues are. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Jeff Johns' real, I think first break in at DC was his Flash run, and he did those first few issues, and that, those issues are about you know Captain Cold and, and Wally. They go to that alternate reality, and that's. That is exactly that. Like, he writes this awesome Captain Cold, right? And it's like you read that stuff, and I think, yeah, he, he, he likes that stuff, you can tell. Yeah. I mean, that's why he did Forever Evil. You know, like you can totally tell that's the stuff he does like doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Villains are fun to write. Yeah. You know, I think because they're unpredictable. I think heroes, you, you, heroes are usually going to be heroes. It's very unlikely they're going to do a swerve and become a heel, you know? But I think with villains, you know, they, they can bounce back and forth. They're unpredictable what they're going to do, what their motivations are. They're, they're shifty. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, you threw the wrestling terminology in there a little bit at the end. <laughs> I think a lot about wrestling <laughs> and wrestling terminology when it comes to uh, when it comes to comics. I, I use wrestling. This is a funny. Whenever I do fight scenes, I use wrestling, like, logic all the time because, you know, how in wrestling there's, like, a there's a balance act they have to do in terms of the story and how they, they flow and they're just fighting but they're still telling a story uh, I think about that a lot when I'm writing fight scenes I'm always like well that means if, it's, if the villain's doing this and the hero's doing this then for the hero to still remain the hero they can't cheat they have to do these things but the villain can totally cheat but if the villain cheats that means the hero is still the hero and the villain is still the villain it works out like you know <laughs> trust me it's on my mind <laughs> well I think that's a perfect way to end the interview <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Joshua thank you so much for joining us and have an awesome con man yeah you too man thanks a lot we're at New York Comic Con, Paul Azaceta, artist for Outcast. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's uh, day one, but I'm already beaten down. But, I, but I'll make it. <laughs> so tell us about your journey entering the con. <laughs> entering the con. Yeah. Well, well, I was saying before, uh, I, I coming in from Jersey. So it's, I'm right across the river. So, so you think that would be the problem with the Lincoln Tunnel. And so, but that was like a breeze. It was getting from the sidewalk to the image booth or the skybound booth. You know what I mean? Like just all the crowds and all the oh man it was like I'm sweating I was I wasn't even sweating outside <laughs> walking in the heat or anything like I don't know it's just been a mess but I'm here so it's good it's uh yeah man I mean I was talking to them outside a little bit but this is my fourth time here the first year I was here Thursday you could have walked through these aisles with your arms totally spread out and not touched anybody and now Thursday is like Saturday it's it's an insane insane place to be um, is this your, how many times you've been here uh, I think since it, I'm, I'm local, I mean, I, I, I'm Jersey, but I'm right across the river. Um, so, so it's like a local con for me. So I've been like from the beginning, I've, I've come here, uh, whether I had a table or not, I still like would always come and hang out and see people, you know, cause everybody come, flies in too. So like get to see friends I don't see all the time and all that. So, so yeah, but it's been getting bigger and bigger and crazier every year. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, Thursday, I expected it to be a little easygoing. It's not. <laughs> No more easygoing in New York Comic Con. That's out the window. So, man, tell me about Outcast. Tell me about working with working with Robert and just the reception to the book and, and how it's been. Well, uh, the reception has been great. Uh, uh, everyone seems to really dig in the book. Um, you know, we, I, I see some of the letters coming in and stuff. We get email and everybody seems to be really liking it. Uh, the conventions when I go, everybody, you know, and and, uh, and all that stuff. Everything. So, I have no complaints at all. I mean, it's been it's been great. As, the, as far as that, uh, working with Kirkman, on the other hand, no, no, it's, uh, no, working with Kirkman is, uh, it's been great. He, he, he's a really great collaborator, I think. Um, he's, he, he has that great kind of uh, dichotomy of, of having like a very specific idea of what he wants 
but at, while at the same time being open to like let me really contribute this all, all kinds of visual this and that blah, blah. so it's like a great like you know like where like he if I ask him a question he knows exactly what he wants but at the same time he's open to me saying like, oh well, what about this and blah blah you know whatever uh, so so it's been it's been great like creatively too it's been it's been, it's been great and uh, kind of this is the first time I've done uh, a long-term book too so so it's like the first time so having worked this many is on this many issues and also it's, it's it's a real it's a new experience for like have that steady steady job like that you know and, you know, working study like that and working on the same book, do you find yourself um, working differently as you get deeper in, or are you still have the same process from issue one to issue whatever? Oh, it's, 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 it changes. I, I think even, even before when I was working on a miniseries, a miniseries, or a one-shot, or whatever it was, uh, I would constantly try to uh, kind of reinvent my process just to kind of streamline and, and just figure out, like, how to get this better. Because I mean, monthly comic books, even... even you know, on a miniseries or whatever, which is not as harsh a deadline, but um, it, you know, it's hard work. It's a lot of work. So, uh, so I'm always looking at a streamline, always looking at. That. So, like this process has been really great for that actually, because having the steady work and having to pump it out that that for this many months in a row, a year or so, whatever I've been working on it now, um, has really helped me do it. And like, I think only lately too, like with these last couple issues, have I really gotten it down to like a science, <laughs> and, and, and 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 I could really. Do well. I mean, I, I've been doing well hitting deadlines or anything to do, but it's always been like a struggle. It's not, or it'd be always like a back end, a lot, a lot of back end work because you know, like I, I would, I would dilly around or dilly dally around or, or, or not. I mean, not not goofing off, but you know, but like not not hunker down and really get get it done until. And then I realized like, oh crap, I only got like a week left on my deadline. I really better get these rest of this book done. Uh, but now, now I'm really like, so I've learned a lot about like my my work habits and, and all that stuff. Like it's a constant evolving process. But, but this has been great for everybody, I think. Every artist should work on a monthly book. It really makes you reevaluate uh, your art and, and your process and how much time you're putting in and like just the whole, you know, the, the whole kind of uh, job, for, for lack of a better. No, that's <laughs> More, great. That's awesome. No, that's that's great. I think that's a great tip too. And it's, I always think it's fascinating to get insights on what that process is like, you know, what's going on. Now, about the book itself, are you a... Uh, are you a big horror fan? Because I mean, there are some really intense, really <laughs> fucked up stuff in the book at times, and I mean, it's awesome it, for someone who loves horror and loves that kind of stuff. It, it, it's it's perfect. But do you, do you come from a, a love of horror, or, did, or was it sort of developed as as you did this? No, I, I love horror. I, I was actually um, it was, it was funny because the two things I was looking for before I started Outcast, before Kirkman uh, kind of contacted me and about the book. One was I was looking to do something long term. I was like, I was sick of kind of like jumping from this to that. So I wanted to like stick with one thing and kind of like see how that goes and, and, and try that out because I'd never done that. And then the other thing was uh, uh, doing horror, like really getting into horror, but not not just horror. I feel like a lot of horror in, in comic books and movies a lot too. Like it, it's kind of misappropriated as horror because uh, they you know you throw blood in, you throw a big monster, and they're all horror. It's, it's not really horror. Like horror for me. Uh, the stuff I like is like between things like The Exorcist, The Alien, the first one, you know, uh, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. There's like there's like a terror to it. There's there's a there's suspense and there's like that that to me is horror. So I was really looking forward to like trying to do that in a comic book and stuff. So when he contacted me about this book, I was like, yes, like this is this sounds exactly what I what I wanted to do. Like you know, like it combines the two things I wanted to do. I didn't expect to do them both together, but but it was just it was just amazing. So I mean, I love horror. Like horror movies, I still watch horror movies. I was just um, watching. Well, I just watched The Fog, which I know is is, is not exactly a new thing, whatever, but I, I love John Carpenter stuff. Somehow I missed The Fog, 
So I just watched that the other day because I, every time I like finding a horror movie, I'm watching this. I watch a, uh, I saw The Devil, I think it's right, or something like that, which is like a Japanese, a Japanese. Or I could, am I being racist? It's Asian. Damn it. Um, anyway, but uh, it was, uh, but that was awesome too. Like you know, I'm always looking for horror. I love horror. So any any movie, like I said, my favorite ones. So probably go back more like John Carpenter, like uh, uh, Prince of Darkness and uh, hit The Thing and then uh, Exorcist and Alien. I, lo I love, my favorite kind of horror is like that kind of like suspenseful, suspenseful horror where um, I always look at it like there's either like a group, either one person or a couple people or a group against kind of like this outside force and it's mostly about the group dynamic kind of going around like the, like John Carpenter's The Thing is like perfect for that where it has like the alien, I mean even though it's infiltrating them too, like, but it's really about the group and like no one trusts each other and this now and there's kind of this almost like, it's a, in, in a way as much as there's like the monsters and, and the tentacles and, and all that crazy stuff in it, it's almost like a vague outside force, kind of like putting pressure on them, which I always like those kind of things, like, you know, that. And actually the first Night of the Living Dead uh, is like that, like the original one is amazing for that, because it's just them in the house. There's really very little zombies yeah. in it. Yeah. And, it, and it, I love that movie for that too, like, you know. Absolutely, and you can feel that, and you're definitely speaking my language with the movies that, that you referenced. The Thing is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, and, uh, but you definitely get like a '70s horror vibe from from the way the book looks and the way it feels, um, and you definitely get that sense of that kind of horror in, in the book as well. So that's what you're going for. You definitely you definitely uh, pulled it off. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't have many much else. I mean, tell me, do you, what's are are you just outcast from from here on out? Anything else on your plate coming up? I'm doing nothing but outcast. All right, cool. Outcast is all I think about. <laughs> I, I eat, dream. No, uh, no, Outcast. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's ongoing, but it, there is a finite. It, it's a finite series where where we're gonna go. It's kind. Of, we look at it like a vertical series or something like that, where like you know you go for like 60, 80, I don't know, even a hundred issues, or whatever. It is, but then there's, there's there's an end, but it's you know hundred issues, or whatever. So, term, so, yeah. so 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 well, it's, it's, it's ongoing. So it's yeah, term. yeah. Well, that's why I told him. Like, listen, I can't do three hundred. Like, I'm I'm no I'm no Charlie Adlard here. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a marathon and a half. No, uh, no, but there, there is a finite. But but up until then, like all I'm doing is okay, I'm trying to focus on. That's the other thing about doing a monthly book is uh, what I want to do is just be able to focus on one thing and not have like you know spread my brain around kind of and, and doing this and that and always blah blah. You know, like I'm, I'm working on my own personal stuff, but that's just like on the side as I'm doing this and it'll and I, I don't plan to like really go forward until I'm done with Outcast. I just want to focus on Outcast, make that as good as possible, and just do that. And for the next uh, whatever amount of years it's going to be now. So hopefully, unless, unless everyone hates the book and then you know, want, and tries to kill Kirkman or something, <laughs> then you know. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us at Talking Comics, and have a great con, man. Oh, thank you, man. So when we talked to Vivek Tawari, author of The Fifth Beetle, we were really rushed. We didn't have a lot of time. Things were behind. So uh, we just jumped right in the interview. So I didn't get to introduce him or give an outro for him, but this is Vivek Tawari, who is the writer of the Eisner Award-winning Harvey Award-winning Fifth Beetle. Oh, Robin. So, funny enough, I actually spoke with you about two years ago. Yeah, yeah. At this, at this very booth, it was before the book had even come out. And you were showing me the book. We were looking through it. You were talking about your passion for it and stuff like that. Um, it's been two years now, and it's been. I mean, I feel like every day I have an email that's like the Fifth Beetle this, the Fifth Beetle that, the Fifth Beetle that. What has it been like in the last two years of the ride with this book? 
it's been amazing. I mean, it's been a surreal few years. Uh, you know, when the book came out, we knew that it was special. I don't want to sound too arrogant, but I knew that it was, a, we knew that it was good. We knew that, and the Brian Epstein story is inspiring. How this gay Jewish kid from Liverpool discovers an unknown rock and roll band, turns them into the Beatles, gives the world the Beatles. And, uh, and, and you know, his dream was to elevate pop music into an art form and make the Beatles bigger than Elvis. And everyone said, that's a stupid dream. People like you don't do things like that. But he did it. You know, it's inver- very inspiring. I-, I always say the message of the Fifth Beatle is that no dream is too impossible and no person too unlikely to realize that dream. So with that in mind, we knew that the, the book had legs, you know. But none of us saw the- the- what happened over the past two years happening as fast as it did, becoming a number one New York Times bestseller. In three weeks, the book went to number one. It debuted at number five. None of us saw that coming. We won the Eisner. We won two Harveys. Uh, I just hosted the Harvey Awards in the w- in the wake of the Fifth Beatle. I mean, like, you know, some people say the Harveys is the Golden Globes of the comic industry. I mean, I, I look at, you know, I was like, how did this happen? You know, it's been a surreal run. And as, as you may know, the film is now taking off as well. I've written the screenplay myself. We got the endorsement of the band, which allowed us to do a deal with Sony ATV. It's a long-winded way of saying we have access to Beatles music. Simon Cowell is one of our co-producers. We're going to be announcing our director in the next few months. So the film is finally taking off also. Um, so that's an amazing thing as well. It's just been a, it's been a very surreal couple of years. As I said, I, I believe that we would get there. I believe that eventually the book would be a bestseller. I believe that, that we would find an audience, that people, because of the message of the book, would, would care about this project and the film would get made. I never in my wildest dreams uh, imagined that we would, we, it would happen so quickly. So it's been a real dream come true. It's amazing. And, you know, tell me about kind of you said you you hosted the Golden Globes of the comic book industry. You know, before the fifth Beatle, you weren't an insider in the comic book industry. You weren't. What has it been like sort of coming into this world and being part of the comic industry? I mean, it's been a joy. It's been a dream come true. You know, I've been I, I it's this is my first work in comics, but I've been reading comics ever since I was a kid. You know, I often say I, pro- I learned to read by reading comics. My earliest memories of reading are reading Tintin books with my mom. So I, I always say Hershey taught me how to read, you know, uh, so I've been reading comics ever since I was a little kid. So so I guess I've always felt like I was a little bit on the inside. You know, I knew the creators. I knew the writers ever since I was a kid growing up in New York. I would go to conventions and wait patiently online to get the creators to sign my comics. So, um, so it, it, you know, it felt like a dream come true. It didn't feel like I was entering a foreign world. It felt like I was entering a world that I was always a part of, but then all of a sudden I was a creator in it. You know, one of the things I love about the comics community is we are a family, you know, and the family is made up of creators, publishers, fans, etc. You know, and so it was really moving from one, one part of the family to a different part of the family. You know, I mean, that's what it felt like, and that was a real, a real joy. It was a dream come true. Oh, that's amazing. Now, do you obviously? This is huge, and you're very focused on this. Do you have any any other stories in you think in the comic book world? For sure. In fact, I think within the next few months, I'm going to be announcing a couple new projects. I have uh, in the not not in comics, but I have a YA novel uh, that I've started writing uh, called Asha Ascending, and I'm working with uh, comics artist Sarah Richardson. Um, Sarah Richards, excuse me, um, and Sarah. Um, is the author of Kitty and Dino, an Eisner Award-winning book, and she does covers uh, for My Little Pony. She's amazing. And so she's doing a tremendous amount of art for the book. So it is a novel, so it's prose, but it's going to have an inordinate amount of art by Sarah. Um, So I'm very, very excited about that. And then there's a couple more traditional comic projects that I hope I'll be able to announce soon. Um, You could find me on Twitter at at Vivek J. Tawari. I'm on Facebook at Vivek J. Tawari. Fifth Beetle is on Facebook too at uh, fifth, the Fifth Beetle, and it's on, uh, 
on Twitter at at Fifth Beetle. And through all of those links, you can find out more about my comics projects that I have coming, developments on Fifth Beetle with the film, etc. But uh, but you will definitely be seeing more from me in comics and uh, and soon. Awesome. I know you, you, we're, we're really pressed for time, so I want to get you out of here as soon as possible. But um, tell me about, it's obviously a very personal story for you, something that you've really, you, you've been, it's been your baby for a long time. Um, you know, tell me about, you know, going from comic project to movie and how it's been different and how, how you've kept yourself sort of on point and motivated and everything to, to, to create this sort of, you know, media spanning uh, property. I mean, I think that the, the, I mean, this is going to sound awfully cheesy, but I think that the trick is you just need to be doing what you love. You know, this fifth Beatle is a labor of love for me. You know, when I was like a 26-year-old Indian kid and I felt I was so weird that I didn't want to be a doctor or an engineer or go into technology or do the things my family expected me to do, I wanted to write comics and produce Broadway musicals and make films. Um, you know, at that moment, the Brian Epstein story was so inspiring to me. I was like, if this gay Jewish kid from Liverpool could turn a dirty rock and roll band into the Beatles, then why couldn't a scrawny Indian kid from New York's Lower East Side write a comic book, you know? And so with that in mind, it's always been a joy. It's been really fun. It's never felt like stress. It's always felt like I'm living the dream, you know? And uh, and I always thought of The Fifth Beatle not as a book or as a film, but as a mission. Our mission is to sing the unsung song of Brian Epstein. And however we can do that, if I do that through a book, great. If I do it through a film, great. I'm doing it right now by talking to you, you know? So, so it doesn't feel like I'm juggling these different film and book. It feels like... I'm just spreading the Brian Epstein story, and that's something that I love. So if I'm working on something I love and that I'm passionate about, it feels like second nature. I mean, yes, there are stressful days, and it, and, and it keeps me incredibly busy, but I think if you do what you love, um, it, 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 feels like, it feels like a joy. It doesn't feel like a stress. Absolutely, and I think that's a great way to end things. I mean, you, you, success is so deserved. Congratulations with everything, and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hello, this is Hugh Parry for Talking Comics at day four of New York Comic Con. Um, I am here with Mr. Eric Donovan. Hello. And James Tynan. Hey. Um, so, four days in, guys. Um, how are you feeling? How has your con been so far? It's been incredible. Um, like, there have just been... For, I mean, it's New York Comic Con. There are always a million people, but uh, it's been great sort of hanging out in Artist Alley and seeing how many people who have responded really, really well to our work, particularly Mimetic, uh, just coming up to the table. We, we actually ordered, we thought we had ordered enough uh, trades that would last us through the, through the weekend. We sold out pretty much immediately on, uh, on Thursday. So uh, yeah, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, it was an absolutely insane weekend. Like, I love this show. Last year was my first time. This year, it seems like it's even bigger. Uh, Thursday, just so many people coming in, picking up the Mimetic, which is really exciting, and being excited about the new series, Cognetic, coming out. So just getting to talk to everyone, doing sketches, and seeing so many people, you know, picking up and spreading the meme. So, um, Yeah, this year, I was, I was here last year, and it just seemed, every day seems as busy as the last this year. So um, so basically, there's um, the small news that uh, The Woods is going to be a TV show. So uh, what can you tell us about that, James? I mean, at this at this point, that's pretty much all there is to tell. Uh, uh, the series was optioned by uh, Universal Cable Productions. They've done a lot of stuff with uh, a lot of cable networks. Uh, they did uh, Mr. Robot this last year, which uh, was an incredible, incredible show, and everyone should should watch it. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, this is this is the first step in a long road, but it is an incredibly, incredibly exciting first step. And I am so excited that, uh, you know, that a few years into this process, uh, people are still responding as well to the series. It's, you know, at this point, it's one of the longest ser running series that Boom has ever done. And there's still another year and a half to go to the big ending that we've been planning towards since the beginning. And uh, yeah, the idea of seeing, seeing the story come to life in a totally different medium, in a totally new and exciting way, I, I couldn't be happier. Cool, so um, how long ago did you know this was happening? How, you know, when did it come to be? It's something where I, I, I've known that there have been discussions going on for the last couple of months, but uh, it's something that once the final paperwork is signed, we announced it. So this is all finalized as of right before the show. So this wasn't something we were like sitting and waiting on. It was actually something that was so uh, to the wire that uh, Michael, my artist and I, uh, did a panel on Thursday uh, hoping we could announce it, but it, it hadn't been finalized just yet. So we were wait we had to wait until that evening to push the announcement out into the world. So, you know, it's just all very exciting. Like, I, I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, huge congratulations on that. That's a, a big you. deal. Um, so, question for both of you. Um, so, you guys are obviously working together on multiple series now. So, um, how, how did you come to work together? We first started working together on the Eisner and Harvey nominated uh, In the Dark Anthology. We had one of the short stories in there, and we just kind of hit it off. Like, I like the way that James writes his scripts. I like... Um, kind of the simplicity of the panel descriptions that allows me to kind of do my thing with the storytelling, but also he has a great grasp of character and plotting and, um, I mean, dialogue is, is a really fun thing that he knows, you know, quirky characters going back and forth. So just reading it kind of got me into it. And then we kind of had the back and forth with each other via email, et cetera. And it just kind of went from there, you know, we, we had a great time doing that. And then Mimetic and Cognetic, and we did a uh, thing for Thrillbent Entertainment called The House in the Wall, which is a really cool, like, digital um, first comic. So I kind of tried to break some boundaries with, like, storytelling via panels and, like, things popping up for a horror book, which is really cool. So, so um, how is your creative process? Is it, you know, how, how is it you guys come about with ideas and how do you bounce off each other? Well, I mean, uh, to start, like, first, Talking about Mimetic, Mimetic was something that was uh, I developed sort of in a silo on my own. It had been uh, working around in the back of my mind for a long, long time. Uh, uh, and so when when Eric and I decided that this was a project we wanted to work on together, it was you know it was us coming together to a pre-existing concept. With Cognetic, I had a very loose idea, uh, but it was something that we actually sat down and talked about lots of the ideas that really spoke out to both of us and it really and it really allowed the story to change over the course of the process. I mean at this point we just like we've worked together for so long. Like I, I remember in the in the last issue of Mimetic, uh, the final page of the final issue, the panel description was just uh, as simple as something comes down from the sky and like and I remember when Eric and Jasmine were uh, our editors on the series were just like James, you need to give Eric more than that, and it's just like no, I'll just talk to him. Yeah. Like there was never anything more written down for what that meant. We just had like a conversation in a bar one night, yeah. and then that was pretty much all we needed to do. Cool. Yeah. So how do you work off the descriptions that James gives you then? 
Um, I mean, it kind of depends. If there's something that I really do feel like I need more detail on, obviously I can ask them, you know, we'll have a phone call or shoot a text message back and forth or get on the email, whatever. But, but really, I like that he gives me, you know, as far as the scripts in our working process, he's not trying to micromanage. It's, you know, you're the visual part of this story. I'm kind of the script and plotting part of this story. So here's the script. Here's what's going on. And like, with Cognetic, even like our new series, it's been even like kind of looser than it was before. I mean, especially in the last chapter, there was a, there's a whole block that you'll see near the end where just some really crazy stuff happens. And that section is literally just written out as like a paragraph, just like this is kind of what I want to happen here and make it cool. And I like that as a, as a storyteller because I mean, Obviously, what you're doing, reading the panel to panel is important and having that, not feeling constrained by the amount of descriptions and things that the writer might want to put in a panel gives me the ability to, to just kind of focus on the story. And then I like to add little tidbits in myself of like storytelling things or backgrounds or, you know, character emotions. So Are there ever any instances where you might look at what James has given you and sort of come back with saying, you know, maybe this would work better or... Uh, well, not really. I mean, occasionally there'll be something like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I added an extra panel here? Or maybe I'm going to take a panel away just because like, I feel like this would let something breathe. Um, but generally, you know, his writing is really strong. So it's not something where I feel like, God, you know, I, I don't know what to do with this. It's not like I get it. Um, it is really fun with Cognetic. Like at the end, we had kind of a little discussion about it was written out, but we in, even in the script, it was kind of like we're still kind of working through this so let's talk about it so then there was that moment of like hey you know let's what are you thinking about the ending and it was just like a little five minute conversation you know hey man how's it going and then so i was thinking about this the other day and what if i do this thing and james was like yeah yeah exactly that's exactly it you know and so it's that fun back and forth cool awesome um so gonna talk about your books um tell our listeners what they can expect when they read memetic uh, well, with Mimetic, Mimetic's a story uh, about uh, an image posted online that ends the world in three days. Uh, it was originally printed as three, uh, three, mini, uh, three uh, issues uh, that, uh, you know, each of them oversized, each showing one day towards the end of the world. Um, that, that is now being collected into a trade, which will be out at the, by the end of the month, uh, just in time for Halloween. Um, and it is, uh, it is one of the, my favorite things that I've ever written. Uh, you, uh, if you've been around the convention circuit, you, like, you might see little, uh, stickers of, uh, sloths given a thumbs up wandering around the place, and those, those all come from that book, and, uh, you know, it's a very striking, strange image that I think has been key to that book's success, and... You know, I, I, I'm just, I am so incredibly proud of that, and I'm so excited that now we have an incredibly beautiful collection uh, of the series, and just in time for us to launch uh, our, our, the second entry in our Apocalypse trilogy, which is Cognetic. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, all, the whole Apocalypse trilogy, when, when it's all said and done, they're all kind of apocalypses of the mind, and uh, apocalypses of identity. I think one of the most frightening ideas uh, in exa the most frightening idea to me is the idea that individuality doesn't matter. 
that uh, that as a single person I am a part of a larger force that does not care about my personal motivations or anything. So I in each of these stories I've tried to tap into those core fears. Uh, with, uh, with Mimetic it was more the idea of an idea spreading around online uh, that gets out of hand and gets so dangerous to the point that it takes everyone apart. With, uh, with Cognetic, it's more about a single will uniting lots and lots of people. Uh, basically, the story starts with a psychic organism who walks into the Empire State Building, takes over the minds of everyone inside, and starts spreading like a psychic contagion. Uh, and when it's all said and done, it's one of the craziest things that, uh, that I, I've ever written and I think Eric's ever drawn. Uh, so it is, uh, these are, these are uh, you know, I love apocalyptic horror. I love doing these stories, you know. By the time we're done with this trilogy, I'm probably going to be like, hey, uh, you know, probably got four or five more of these guys. But, uh, yeah, I... I, I'm so happy with these books. So it might end up as like a Douglas Adams like trilogy in four parts type thing. <laughs> yeah, we will uh, we will see see how it all ends uh, ends up. But uh, right now we we have three concepts that we really really love, and you know, third one you might not see for a little bit. But now we have Cognetic in stores. It's a book we are very very proud of, and uh, or rather in stores in the next week or two. But. Uh, it, people will be able to pick it up soon uh, from Boom Studios, and I am incredibly proud of this project, and I'm so happy to see it come to life. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's definitely the first book I've ever bought, and someone signed it with the words, Obey the Sloth. <laughs> so, you know, that in itself is cool. So what can we expect visually from these two titles? Oh, man. So, you know, there's a lot of cities. Uh, Cognetic is really kind of James's ode to New York. Uh, you know, he's him moving to LA from New being a, a native New Yorker, I think, and I could kind of tap into that in the script. So uh, a lot of cities, a lot of drawings of the Empire State Building in Cognetic, and uh, also some really crazy kind of body horror. So <laughs> uh, especially near the end of Mimetic, and then, you know, you get a little bit of a taste of that in uh, at the end of Cognetic at the first chapter just where it's gonna go but it that's just the edge and it's gonna just fall down a crazy cliff of insanity after that so so how soon can we expect um i know you said it may be a way off but you know the the, the third part of the trilogy uh, i'd say stay tuned for that uh there there are lots of other exciting projects but that both eric and i are working on and we wouldn't want to rush into a third one before we're ready to tell it at the, the to the extent of you know uh, both of our capabilities. And but right now you can find you know by the end of this month you'll be able to buy the first issue of Cognetic and the entire collection of Mimetic. And uh, yeah, uh, we're very proud of these books and people seem to like them and keep on buying them. And uh, yeah, so you should too. Awesome. Right, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, guys. Um, this is you for Talking Comics. Thank you very much.